following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. So we are finishing our series in Philippians today. It's been several months. Uh, have you enjoyed it? Good. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. I, I haven't been in Philippians for, for quite a long time. It's been nice for me coming back and reading some of these texts again and just shows you God's always got new things to bring out of his word. I think no matter how familiar some parts of scripture might be to us, you always come back and it's, I think, partly seasons of your life that you're in and just partly the providence of the Holy Spirit is just always breaking forth new light from the word of God. And so it's, it's a gift. And I think this series has been a gift to me. I've enjoyed teaching through this, and, it's, and it's, it's seen us through an interesting season, hasn't it, in our, in our church life. Um, I'm not going to go into what's coming next yet. I'll tell you a bit more about that maybe next week, but there is some, uh, there is some great stuff coming up for us um, in a series that we're going to be cooperating again with a couple of other churches in, so we'll talk more about that soon. But for this morning, we are finishing off. It's Philippians chapter 4. Uh, now, Anna's tried all week to find someone to read this passage out, and she's drawn an absolute blank. So uh, does anyone want to come and read this passage? I thought, I thought I would just actually put that out there and see, oh, there we go, and see what happens, you know? Because we're, we're a church, and we're allowed to do these things. So thank you, my friend. Are you going to, what are you? Well, Philippians 4, 14 through to 20. Right. Is that all right? I'll give you this microphone. Thank you, Brian. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the manner of giving and receiving, except you and you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. For I have received full payment and never even more. I am supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gift that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Thank you, Brian. It's, all, it's almost as if you'd rehearsed that. <laughs> but he hadn't had any warning. There weren't too many tricky names in there, were there? Only Epaphroditus. That was all right. Okay. Now, I brought along a little prop this morning. This is uh, our kids, one of our kids' money jar. Okay, so this is actually Lawson's. Don't tell him I've got it. <laughs> I stole his money box. So, so our boys have this, this little money box. And the idea is, with the meager amount of pocket money that they get, it gets split into these three categories. So, it's not much in there. So, there's, there's the spend category, and they can spend that on whatever they want, whenever they want to. There's the save category, so they're, they're technically supposed to be saving up for something a little bit more significant. And then there's the share category. And in theory, 
That is supposed to be money that's given away to the church or to missionaries or to other, other Christian work. So what we've ended up with as a family are three boys that represent each of these three boxes, which is kind of weird, but our, our kids each gravitate towards one of these spaces. So, we've, so Ezra's our spender, and he just spends money. Like he just, it just burns a hole in his pocket, and he'll just spend it as soon as he gets it. He's getting better now, but he just spends, spends, spends. And Josh is our saver. So he will squirrel the money away. He doesn't mind. He'll play the long game. He'll save up for ages for something that he wants. In fact, he does this with pretty much everything in his life. So I think he's, he's still got some lollies left over from Christmas that he's still saving up. You know, it's, it becomes a real pain. Uh, and Lawson is our sharer. So he just likes to give money away, which, which is a lovely quality, except that he gets totally taken advantage of by the other two. So... It's kind of just a funny thing in our family. We've ended up with these three boys, three, three different categories. And I want you to think for a minute about whether you gravitate towards one of these parts of the container, one of these parts of the money, money box. So some of you might be spenders. Yeah? So you know what I'm talking about, right? You, you're, the, you're the ones who you go into the shop to buy something and you come out with five things and it wasn't even the one thing that you went in to get. And some of you are are savers, so you're really good at squirreling the money away, and you're, you're checking your phone during the service to see if you've accrued some more interest on your account, and you're constantly just trying to get the money level, get the reserves up. Uh, and may, maybe some of you are sharers. Some people do have that kind of temperament where you just, you're naturally a generous person, but I would hazard a guess that this is probably the section that most of us struggle with. Most, would that be right? You know, most of us can spend, some of us can save, how many of us can share? Right? I think when it comes to generosity, when it comes to actually giving some of our hard-earned cash away, that is hard. And that's, that's, that's tough. I think generosity is one of the toughest virtues of the Christian life to cultivate, isn't it? I mean, we, we're all about love and joy and peace and patience, but generosity, that, that just hits us where it hurts. And yet this is vital. This is what we're talking about this morning. This virtue of generosity, it, it runs against the grain of our nature. There's something about the human nature, I think, that, that is fundamentally selfish, and it rebels against this idea of being generous and open-handed. Uh, it, 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 it runs against the grain of our culture. We talked last week about our consumer culture and how much that's conditioning us to want more and more and more and want the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And all of that is completely counter to the practice of generosity, being open-handed towards other people, open-handed towards what God is doing in the world. I think most of us, if we're honest, we, we, we find this part of the money box. We're not spending much time in that space, are we? In the share category. And this is where the Philippian church can be such an encouragement to us. Because I don't know whether you've picked it up as you've read through and tracked through the series, but if there's one thing this church was great at, it was generosity. They're just a generous bunch of, of people. And as Paul comes to this final section of the body of his letter, the subject that he goes to is the generosity of the church. And he's just commending them for their generosity and their financial giving because Paul's the recipient of that generosity. So he's grateful. He's writing this like a proud father, just beaming at the, the progress of this church and, and what a generous spirit 
they've cultivated in this church. That's why the whole letter has this tone of warmth to it. Have you picked that up? Just this tone of friendship to it. It's such an endearing letter because Paul has been so blessed by this church and their generosity. And so now he just speaks into that and talks about what what it means to be generous people. So let me just start with a couple of verses here just to give you a little bit of the backstory of what's going on. Verse uh, 15 and 16. He says, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, that's the province Philip I was in, Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. So what Paul's saying is when he first planted this church in Philippi, he only stayed there a few days. So it was a a brief visit. Paul and Timothy planted this church, and then they had to go because they got in trouble with the authorities. So the church had hardly any time to get to know Paul. And, and this was a church of people that they'd just become Christians, these baby, fledgling Christians, and then their pastor, their apostle, takes off. And Paul has to go then, he goes up the road to Thessalonica, about 50 kilometers away. And while he's in Thessalonica, he receives a visit from someone in Philippi, and they come and bring him this bag of money. And Philippi, the church, has passed the offering plate around, and they've taken up a collection for Paul. And he says, you did this more than once. When I was in Thessalonica, more than once you, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. This little baby church has decided to get on board with Paul's ministry. They hardly knew him. The church had only just started. And yet, instinctively, these people are beginning to be generous. And then Paul says, not one other church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. So no other congregation was doing this. There's churches that Paul had planted a lot earlier than this. There's churches that have been going longer, that had had Christians that had been Christians for a lot longer, more mature Christians in theory. And Paul says, not one of them, not one of these other churches were giving to my ministry, at least not in the way the Philippians were, only this church. It's extraordinary when you think about it, that the newest church on the block, full of baby Christians, only just being converted, and they just, they've got this generous spirit, and they're giving towards Paul's ministry, and Paul is just beaming. He is just so proud of this congregation. Now, the the kind of giving that the Philippians showed towards Paul, that's them supporting Paul as a pastor, as a missionary. I want you to think as we talk about generosity this morning, generosity can look like a lot of different things. Don't get locked into just one way of being generous. It can look like this. It can look like supporting a missionary or supporting a church planter. Uh, It can also look like supporting a family or an individual that's in need. Just informally, just people that you know who are going through a difficult time. That's generosity too. And, that, and that's happening. I heard a great story just last week. I won't tell you because it's confidential. But man, this is happening. You know, people just being generous to people. Uh, it can look like giving to the church that's important and the church that God's placed us. Uh, it can look like sowing into Christian mission, Christian ministry, uh, being part of kingdom work financially. It can look like sometimes just that nudge of the Holy Spirit who prompts you to give to some random person in a situation that you never even saw coming. All of that is under the umbrella of generosity. And so I want you to think as we talk about this, what, what areas of generosity maybe God's prompting you towards? You may be okay in some and, and then not so strong in, in some other areas. So think, think about what generosity looks like for you. So Paul talks about three areas 
of generosity, or really says three things about the nature of what generosity looks like in this passage. Let's go quickly have a glass of water before we get stuck in. Okay. So the first, and this is in verse 17. He says, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. The, the way that the NIV translates that, there's a word there that's missing. Uh, I don't know why they didn't include it. It's, it's there in, in the original uh, text. It's the word fruit. If you're reading from the ESV, it's there. Uh, he says, what I desire literally is that more fruit be credited to your account. So in the, in the NIV, it just sounds like he's saying, I, I desire that you, that you get more or that you have more credited to your account. Uh, but what Paul's real heart that he's expressing here for the Philippians is that they would abound in fruit, in spiritual fruit. That's what he's wanting. So this is not, it's not prosperity theology where you give and God's going to give you back financially tenfold what you've given. This is the gospel th theology, which says as we're generous, God produces spiritual fruit in our life, spiritual prosperity, if you want, spiritual fruit being born. So generosity is a practice in our lives that is not just about what you give to someone else. You might think that you're blessing that person or that church or that organization as you, as you give and, but what is happening is that your heart is being shaped through that practice, that your character is being formed. I don't know whether you know this, but there is, there is a little piece of string that runs from your FPOS card to your heart. Did you know that? It's, you, probably don't, you probably can't see it. You may not be able to feel it, but it's there, right? It's directly from your FPOS card or your, or your credit card to your heart. And so what you do with that FPOS card it has an effect on your heart, right? You may not realize this. You don't see it. You don't think it's actually happening. But the way you're spending is influencing your heart. And so if all of your spending, if you look down your bank statement and there is no hint there of selflessness, if there is nothing there that suggests any generosity, if it's all just you, if it's all just your immediate family, if there's nothing there around giving, nothing there around sowing, nothing there around generosity, that's going to do something to your heart. That is shaping your heart in a negative direction. That, that is teaching your heart to be like this, to be like a closed fist around your money. That's what happens when all of our spending goes on to ourselves and all of our saving is just for ourselves. We're telling our heart to grip hold of our money with white knuckles and don't let it go. We're telling our heart, this is mine. I earned it. I've worked for it. I've saved hard. It's all mine. And we're not telling our heart the truth, are we? That everything we have comes from God. That he's the giver of every good gift comes from above. It all belongs to him and it all returns to him in the end. And we're just stewards of it. But we ignore that truth when we just clutch onto our money. And when we fail to walk out in generosity, then we are just becoming more addicted to money. We're becoming more attached to money. We're becoming more obsessed with money. We're becoming more in danger of making money an idol in our lives. I know you don't think that's happening in your life, but that's the subtlety of the trap that we so easily fall into. But when we begin walking in generosity, when we begin 
starting to release a little bit of what God's given us towards others, towards the church, towards mission and so on. What happens is that fist that you've got where you're clutching onto your money right now, God just takes that fist and he starts to just pry one finger off it. Right? That's 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 the most that you can expect first time, right? You just begin to begin to take a step in giving and you, and and God just begins to release that grip that you have on your money and your stuff that you have such a strong sense of entitlement around. And God will work in your heart through the practice of generosity until eventually you become an open-handed person. Rather than a tight-fisted person, you become open-handed. And that does something good for your heart. Being an open-handed person means that you're attentive to the needs of others around you. It means that you're saying, like Jesus taught us to say, freely you've received, freely give. That's the mindset of a mature Christian. Freely I've received, freely give. I'm not blessed to be blessed. I'm blessed to be a blessing towards others. No matter how much or little we have, we can take baby steps. Just loving, being open-hearted towards one another. And that is teaching your heart to love other people, isn't it? That is teaching your heart to love the church. That's teaching your heart to love what God is doing in the world. And that's producing good fruit in your life. This is shaping your character by walking out in generosity. Here's another metaphor for you. Generosity is like fertilizer for your character. Okay, what does fertilizer do for a tree? Helps it grow? Helps to produce good fruit, maybe? I'm not a gardener, so I don't know, but some of you know more than me. So generosity is like that fertilizer. You think of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Giving generosity fuels every single one of those fruit in your life. Generosity helps you to become more loving towards other people. Generosity helps you to become more patient and a person of peace as you wait on God to provide in your own life. Generosity teaches you kindness. Generosity teaches you goodness. Generosity teaches you self-control. Generosity works in your heart to develop these things. So if you want to produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life, it's not just going to happen by praying for it. Yes, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Yes, it's God's work in your life. God brings that fruit about through everyday practices. And one of those practices is beginning to release what we have and beginning to start becoming a generous person, looking at the needs around us, looking at where God's placed us and beginning to sow into that work and sow into the lives of other people. It will do something to your heart. You're not convinced, are you? you know, it's a bit of resistance this morning, I think. When we talk about money, this is what happens. There's strong resistance. I just sense it. I sense the hearts. Sometimes that happens. Because it's ingrained in our human spirit, we have such a strong sense of ownership and entitlement of our stuff. And I'm just trusting the Holy Spirit to break a few hearts this morning as we talk and just soften some hearts. Be open. Be open to what the Spirit is saying through His Word. Here's the second thing that Paul says around generosity. In verse 18, he says, I have received full payment and have more than enough I am amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are, listen to these words, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. So the language Paul's using there, this is the language of worship. Uh, he's talking about sacrifices like, like Israel would make animal sacrifices. And they'd place these things on the altar 
and, and there would be incense, and, and the aroma of the sacrifice would drift up. And, and the idea would be it would fill the senses of God, and it would be a pleasing sacrifice to God. And Paul's saying it's a bit like that when you become a generous person. It's a bit like that when you start giving financially. It's like play, you think you're giving to people. What you're really doing is placing your money on the altar. And some of you, this is a real challenge, but this is what's happening. You're placing your wallet on the altar. You're placing your bank account on the altar. You're placing your KiwiSaver on the altar. You're placing your retirement scheme on the altar. You're placing your savings account on the altar. I'm not talking about being reckless. I'm talking about being faithful. You place it on the altar and you say, God, this is yours, and I give this to you as an act of worship. That's what's happening as we give. We, we, we may be giving to people, but what you're really doing is giving towards God and offering this to him as an act of worship and saying, God, everything I have is yours anyway. Like King David said, I can only give to the Lord out of his own hand. He's given it all to me, and I offer it back to you, Lord, by giving freely to others. I'm walking in generosity, and it's an act of worship. And, and it makes sense, right? Because our giving, our generosity is just our response to the generosity of God, isn't it? If, if you don't really have a vision of God's generosity, I don't think you'll ever become a generous person. The more that you know God as a generous giver, the more your heart will be moved. Isn't that at the very heart of who God is, that he has a generous nature, doesn't he? A generous spirit that God is a giver. Think of what he's given to you. God has given us life. He's given us salvation. Just read Ephesians 1. He has blessed you. He has chosen you. He has called you. He has predestined you. He has adopted you. He has saved you. He has ransomed you. He has reconciled you. He is for you. Word after word, phrase after phrase, describing the generosity of our God. He is a giver. And out of his abundance, out of all he's given to you, God says, now I want you to just walk out that same spirit as a response to me, as, a, as an act of worship. Would you embody that same spirit in your life towards other people, towards the church I've placed you in, towards communities, towards a world that's broken and hurting and in great need, towards a world in which there are countless people living in poverty? Would you be a person of the same spirit as your generous God? That's what he's asking you. So we need a bigger vision of God's own generosity. Maybe that will spur you on. And if you can't count those blessings, just look at the cross. If you're not sure how God's been generous to you, just look at the cross. That is his ultimate act of generosity, that he would give his own son. That is the generosity at the heart of God, that he, he so loved the world that he gave. It's his very nature to give. And those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus or to take that spirit, that same yoke upon our lives and walk out in generosity. Not out of obligation, not out of guilt, not out of shame. I'm not trying to put any of that on you, but out of gracious response to a gracious God as an act of worship. So giving is our offering. And honestly, I see that in our church community, right? I'm, I'm not trying to burden you with, with something. I see this already happening. If I think back, think back to 2020, right? Beginning of 2020 and COVID came along. Feels like a world away now, doesn't it? When life was different. At the beginning of that pandemic, and we all wondered what the next however long was going to look like. And as elders, we wondered what the church was going to look like through that time and what impact this was going to have. And one of the things you wonder about in those times is what's going to happen to giving? 
Are we going to be okay financially? And I don't know if you've, if, if, you've, if you've tracked and seen what's happened, but God, through you, has been so faithful in the, in the faithful giving, in the faithful generosity of people in our church. I think from 2019 to 2020, I think our giving went up rather than down at a time that many of you were hurting and you were struggling and you were uncertain and you didn't know what was coming up. And yet your faithfulness was amazing. So I feel a bit like Paul, the proud father. You know, I feel a bit like Paul who was writing to the Philippians. And I have that sense of pride with you because we are, as a community, I think a generous congregation. Amen. That spirit is there. And I know that you do. You look after one another. You give faithfully to the church. And we've seen that consistently. And it's an amazing thought when you think of giving as an act of worship. Isn't it cool to think that over the last couple of years, for all those months that we haven't been able to gather together, we've been online, but we've still been worshiping in many ways. We've been worshiping through our online services, but we've been worshiping through faithfully sowing into the work of the church. We've continued to be a worshiping congregation. It's hugely encouraging. So I think when you can see giving as an expression of worship, it helps connect generosity to your own relationship with God. And it helps you see this is not just something that we're supposed to do because the Bible says we're supposed to do it. This is something that is an expression of my love for Jesus and my response to his grace in my life. All right, one more area that Paul talks about generosity. And this is the great promise at the end of this passage. Verse 19, he says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory. In Christ Jesus. The great promise, eh? One of the most beautiful promises in the Bible. And notice what it doesn't say. So it doesn't say, Paul doesn't say, and my God will meet all of your wants. Right? <laughs> Some of you want to cross that word out and write, yeah. It doesn't mean God will tick every item off your shopping list and your wish list and your bucket list and give you everything your heart's desired. No, it says, my God will meet all of your needs. As we walk in generosity and faithfulness and worship to God, we can trust that God will provide for our needs. And again, this is so connected to our experience of who God is. When we start to walk in generosity, we discover new things about God. You know, God goes by many names in the Bible. Do you know some of them? Have you experienced some of them? He goes by... Abba Father, we know him as Abba Father. Uh, he, he goes by Yahweh Shalom, the God of peace. We know him as the God of peace. Uh, we call him Adonai, my Lord. The Bible talks about him as El Shaddai, God Almighty. We know these names. We love these names. But do you know there's another one? And, and, and some of you know it, but we don't experience it. We don't experience this name of God until we put ourselves in a place where we have to depend on God. Or we are put in that place by circumstances. And when you're in that space where you have to rely on God's provision, when you have to trust in Him with everything, in that moment, then you find out that new name of God and God reveals Himself to you as Jehovah Jireh, our provider. So you know that name because it's in the Bible, but we don't experience that name until we're in a place of having to trust of having to depend. And as long as you're clutching on to your money and your stuff with those white knuckles, you'll never know God as Jehovah Jireh. 
but he wants to reveal himself to you in that way. He is Jireh. He wants to say to you, I am your provision. I am your blessing. I am your abundance. I am your sustenance. I am your strength. I am enough. And I will provide for you. Can you let that settle on your heart this morning? Do some of you just need to hear those words? Jehovah Jireh. He will provide for you. The problem is, we're all over here clutching our money going, yeah, 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 yeah. I know God's Jehovah Jireh. I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. And over here, we've got no interest in being generous people. But you won't know him as Jehovah Jireh until you start to release a little bit, a little bit of what he's given you and walk in generosity and sow into his work and love people around you and be open-handed. And then you'll come to know and see some new things about God and you'll recognize him for who he truly is. He is the God who is the maker of heaven and earth. He's the God who rained down manna from heaven for the Israelites day after day for 40 years. He's the God who fed them with quail morning and evening. He's the God who provided water from the rock for heaven's sake. He's the God of Elijah who fed Elijah with the ravens. Meat in the morning, meat in the evening. He's the God of the widow of Zarephath who multiplied the oil, multiplied the flour so the jar of flour never ran out, the jar of oil never ran dry. He's the God who turned water into wine at a wedding just for fun, just for kicks. He's the God who multiplied the loaves and the fishes so there was 12 baskets left over. Do you not think he will look after little old you? This is the God that we serve. And yet we get so worried about our money. We just get so protective. We, spend, we worry about money more than anything else. We don't know where we're going to go and how, we're gonna, how it's going to work and what's going to happen. And all the time, God is just saying, will you just look at me? Will you just think about the God whom you serve? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's got all the resources of heaven at his disposal. And Paul says, out of his glorious riches in Christ Jesus, he will meet your needs. If he clothes the lilies of the field, how much more? How much more does he love you? How much more will he clothe you? If he feeds the sparrows, how much more will he feed you? Do you believe that? All of this is in the Bible. I'm just not sure that we believe it because we're too busy clutching onto our stuff. But this should lead us to be generous, open-hearted, open-handed people. And when you really do step out in faith and you're an open-hearted Christian, then you come to know God as Jehovah Jireh. Just as he provided that ram for Abraham on Mount Moriah, he will provide for you and for your family if you trust him. As we walk out in generosity, we see God as Jireh, our provider. And Anna and I have known this in our lives. We've experienced it personally. I remember um, the year before we got married, we sat down and did our budget budget for year one of marriage and the budget didn't work because we put into the budget that we wanted to to give we wanted to give to the church and I wasn't a pastor I'm not saying this because I'm a pastor we were we were not working for a church at this stage we were just trying to do what we could to be faithful so we put in there giving and the budget didn't didn't balance there was a gap and probably every financial advisor would have said to us well you got to trim back the giving it's the only variable you've got you obviously can't touch Wendy's. You've got to do giving. You know? <laughs> so, but we just left it. And in that first year of marriage, 
we not only met our expenses, we saved a little bit of money. And that's not because we're great people, it's because God's a great God. And every year since then, God has been faithful. He's been so faithful to us. Look, I'm not saying this because I think I'm some great, generous person. I'm not. I need to grow in this area, just like you. But we have seen the provision of God time and time again. And we've seen the provision of God through His people. We've seen people be generous. We've been provided for by God in unexpected ways, in surprising ways. And we have known Him to be gyra time and time again. He is faithful and He will provide for you. But it's not enough. Just to step back and say, well, I'll wait for God to provide and then I'll step out in faith. No, if you're going to know him as Jehovah Jireh, you're going to have to put a foot in the Red Sea sooner or later and then trust that he'll part the water. I love the old hymn by Annie Flint that says, when we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed, but the day is half done, When we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. As we trust him, as we walk in generosity, you will know him to be exactly who he says he is, Jehovah Jireh. So, my friends, I know I've been hard on you this morning, and I've been hard on myself too. Believe me, I'm on this journey as well. But I pray that through this whole series in Philippians, you'd be encouraged by this little church in Philippi that existed 2,000 years ago, this little community of people. They've got so much to teach us. They've got so much to encourage us with. And I hope you can be encouraged by their generosity. And just as I think God has already got that spirit going among us, my prayer is that we would continue to foster a spirit of generosity within our congregation. And that through being generous, God would build spiritual fruit into each of our lives and shape our character into the likeness of Christ. That we'd be generous as an act of worship, placing all that we are and all that we have on the altar and offering it freely to God. I surrender all. And that through stepping out in generosity, we would then expect and receive the provision of God in our lives and know him as the faithful Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for your generosity to us. We thank you, God, for all the ways in which you have given and given and given again. We haven't deserved it. We haven't earned a cent of it. But you have given to us. Jesus, we thank you that even though you were rich, you made yourself poor that out of your poverty on the cross, we might become rich in spirit, rich towards you, God. We thank you that you've given us all the riches of heaven. We thank you that you have made us so blessed, so rich towards you. God, out of all that you have done, out of all of who you are, would you work in our hearts to make us generous people, to make us a generous church. Lord, would you give us wisdom in this? We need so much discernment. We need so much good judgment as we make practical decisions about what generosity looks like in our lives, Holy Spirit, we trust you. Give us the wisdom we need. Give us the clarity we need. Give us the courage we need to take that step. Lord, wherever you're nudging us now, whatever area you are prompting us towards in generosity, would you give us the boldness of your spirit to step into that, to lean into that, and to know 
that in that space, we'll know your provision and we'll know your sustaining hand upon our lives. Thank you that you are good. Thank you that you are a giving, gracious God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Pray. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.